Not a not a extensive message, but uh, one that I believe that'll be a help to us, hopefully. And uh, I believe that God's word is always profitable; it doesn't return void. Uh, but there is a time where if we do not uh, put its application to heart and to incline our hearts to it, that it becomes unprofitable. In fact, there's a passage of scripture I can't uh, recall the the reference right now, but I'll look it up for you if you'd like to know it that talks about the fact that his word was unprofitable because of the lack of their faith. And uh, it certainly needs to be combined with faith. We need to believe that this is not just a book that contains words of God, but that it is the word of God to us. And it's what God wants us to know about himself. And uh, we're going to begin reading down in around verse number 14. And um, we'll read down through several verses down around verse 21. Wherefore he saith, Awake thou that sleepest, and arise from the dead, and Christ shall give thee light. See then that ye walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time, because the days are evil. Wherefore be ye not unwise, but understanding what the will of the Lord is. And be not drunk with wine wherein is excess, but be filled with the Spirit, speaking to yourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart, to the Lord, giving thanks always for all things unto God and the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting yourselves one to another in the fear of God. Father, we come to you tonight. I pray that you'll bless the message. Lord, just a simple thought, but something that ought to be very profound in our hearts and our minds. And Lord, I pray that you'd help us to live by it. I pray that this truth would ingrain itself in our souls that it would become something inwardly that we ought to be, and that it would mold us and transform our hearts and our minds into what they ought to be for you. Lord, we ask that you would be glorified in all that's said and done, and ask that your Holy Spirit will go before us in the message and stir our hearts and bring it fresh and new to us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. There's a danger many times, as we mentioned this morning, of becoming apathetic, and one of the areas that we can become apathetic in is in reading Scripture. Uh, a lot of times, once we have read Scripture for a period of time or length of time in our lives, uh, we remember the stories from last time when we read it. And the spectacular truths of this blessed book tend to lose a little bit of their sparkle and dazzle to us. Uh, we, we kind of know the, uh, the, uh, the ins and outs of things. We hear stories uh, like David and Goliath, and we've heard them for so many years that the spectacular truth of that miracle just doesn't impact us like it did the first time we heard it. Or we hear about the three Hebrew boys being thrown into a fiery furnace and God showing up in the very midst of them and walking around with them and protecting them to the point where not even the smoke smells on their clothes. And we look at that and we fail to see the miracle of it. We see Jesus in His earthly ministry raising those that were lame and those that were blind giving sight to them and and yet even the greatest miracle when he went to the paralytic man and uh, forgave him of his sin. And boy, the miracle that that was. And uh, we begin to look at Scripture a lot of times and we, we lose some of the freshness, don't we? I was listening to a man by the name of Sam Gipp one time. He's an evangelist and travels around and uh, preaches on the Bible specifically. It's one of his great themes of his preaching is the Word of God. And one of the things that he mentioned one time when I was in a conference with him is when we come to God's Word, we ought to come to it as if it's the very first time we're reading it. And we ought to sit down there and open its pages and 
as we read the verses of Scripture, they ought to be fresh and they ought to be new to us and there ought to be something distinct about it that just charges our hearts. Uh, how many of you tonight uh, have read through a passage of Scripture, oh, I don't know, maybe a dozen times in your lifetime, and then you go back and after a period of time you reread it and something jumps out at you from that passage that you'd never noticed before. Anybody been like that? Isn't that amazing? The Bible talks about the Word of God being quick and powerful. That means it's alive. It's got something about it. And, and as our hearts grow and as we're able to uh, walk and grow in the grace and the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ, and as the Holy Spirit has free course in our hearts, there are things from this book that when we read them, if we'll allow them to, they'll become uh, part of our hearts and part of our lives. And the reading of Scripture ought to be something that's an adventure for us. It really ought to be. I think so often we look at it as a chore and a toil or something that is uh, one of the, the uh, uh, I give my kids uh, sometimes chores to do around the house. And I think sometimes as Christians, we look at reading our Bible as the chore of the Christian life. Uh, and, uh, boy, I know I've got to do it. The Bible commands i got to do it. And we know about the wisdom of it. And so, boy, I better read my Bible. But, boy, wouldn't it be wonderful if God's Word could become an adventure to us where it would, what the psalmist referred to in Psalm 1, where it would delight our hearts to the point that we would meditate in it day and night. Wouldn't that be amazing if God's Word could become that way to us? The, the freshness of it. The fact that we could never... Never exhaust the truth of this book. I don't care how many times we read it through, there would be something new every time we read it. Not that it's changing, but it's changing us. And it makes a difference, doesn't it? As we get to Ephesians chapter 5, it's a book that we read quite a bit. It's not a very long book. Paul wrote it, and a lot of people have read it. In fact, some people have even memorized the book of Ephesians. It's not a real lengthy book. But if we're not careful, we'll brush through its pages and we'll gloss over some things that we miss sometimes through it. I want us to look at this as we begin reading in verse number uh, 14 tonight that there is a, uh, uh, an assumption that is made here. In fact, he lays kind of, kind of some groundworks of it uh, in the uh, verses leading up to it, beginning about verse number, uh, verse number 3 and, and following, verse number 1 and following all the way down through verse number 14. Paul kind of lays a groundwork for his summation here that he makes in verse number 14. Because of all of this stuff that he talks about earlier in the chapter, he says, wherefore, in other words, because of all of these things that I have listed in the earlier part of this, now wherefore, he saith, awake thou that sleepest. And the implication is here, it's not that the folks he's writing to do not know this. It's simply that they have grown to a point where it's lost its newness and it's lost its freshness and it just kind of gets pushed to the back burner. And so he says, Awake thou that sleepest, and arise from the dead. Arise from the dead. In other words, Paul is saying there's the possibility of being a dead Christian. You ever met someone like that? I'm not saying dead spiritually, that we're not going to go to heaven. But they've just, they, they're just a bump on the log. Uh, they don't. They don't sit. They, they, they don't. They don't uh, uh, grow. They don't have any freshness in their Christian life. The power of God does not uh, rest on them. They don't walk with God. They just seem to breathe in the good air and blow out the bad air. And that's not at all what God ever intended a Christian to be. And so Paul says, "Awake, thou that sleepest," and he even refers to this <coughs> that they ought to arise from the dead, 
And I want you to notice what's said at the very last of verse number 14, because I believe this is very, or verse number 13, uh, verse number 14, excuse me, because I believe it's one of the things that we miss. This is one of those nuggets that if we're not careful, we skip over it and we miss it. And Christ shall, what's his, what does it say there? And Christ shall, who's he writing to here? He's writing to the church at Ephesus, isn't he? He's writing to believers, those that know Christ as their Savior. Why, if we're saved, do we need to have the light of Christ given to us? Could it be that because if we do not walk with God in the light of His Word, that we lose this light of God in our lives? Could it be that the colder we grow and the the more distant we get from the Lord Jesus Christ, that that light grows dimmer and dimmer in our lives? I'm reminded of the Sermon on the Mount when He came to His disciples and said, Ye are the light of the world. And we understand that He was not saying it was their light, but He was saying, You are the ones that are carrying my light. And if we are to be ones that are carrying our light, I don't know how many times I've read this, and I've, I've read that phrase before, and I've passed over it. Not realizing that this is something that God wants us to wake up from and to, to make sure that uh, we are, are, are being encouraged in the Christian life and growing in the Christian life. And Paul's going to tell us how to do that here in just a few verses. But it says that if we will awake from our sleep and rise from the dead, that Christ will give us light. Wouldn't it be wonderful if we could continue to get more and more light? I don't know what happens in the spiritual realm. God has not seen fit to open our eyes to where we can see angels and demons literally in this day and age that we live. But rest assured, there is a great battle that's going on. There is certain indication in Scripture that there are angels of varying degrees of power. There are those that have from time to time had to come to the aid of other angels who were being so uh, uh, under the onslaught of Satan and his demons that they could not break through. One of them was found in the book of Daniel when an angel was sent to give Daniel a message and the prince of Persia withstood him one in twenty days. And Michael the archangel had to come so that the angel could get through and bring the message to Daniel. But can it be that the power that God rests upon you and I to accomplish His work in a large part depends on the light that we have? Could it be that as we labor in this world, in the physical world, and we go about trying to do a spiritual work, that to a large degree... The effectiveness of our labor is dependent upon the light that we have. Very interesting thought. So we go on through, and I want you to notice then, because he goes on to tell us, Wherefore, awake thou that sleepest, and arise from the dead, and Christ shall give thee light. And we see there the remedy of that. And so what does Paul mean by this awaking from the sleep? And rising from the dead. And he explains it in verses 15 and 16 and 17. We find in verse 16 he says, See then that ye walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise. We made reference to this verse this morning in the message. But the idea that not only are we to be awakened, but we are to accomplish some things in our lives. And this is what I would believe would keep us from going back into that lulled state of of ineffectiveness in the Christian life. This is what a Christian ought be doing 
to grow in the grace and the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. Or these would be the stepping stones on the path that God has given before us. That we begin to walk circumspectly, and that means that our life is to be dictated by the wisdom of looking around and seeing the condition of the times and understanding what the will of the Lord is. And we find here that He gives us several things to help us accomplish this walking circumspectly. He says in verse number 16, in order for us to walk circumspectly, he says this, redeeming the time. Can I, rest, can I tell you this? That You can rest assured this evening that if we're going to walk circumspectly, if we're going to do this thing that Paul's challenged us to do, then we've got to be uh, busy redeeming the time. And, and the word redeeming here means literally to buy back the time, to gain the time. To, uh, to constantly be doing something with eternity in mind. Um, we all know what it is to set a schedule. We remember when we were younger, uh, those of us that grew up in homes where our parents made us work uh, and do chores, we all know what it was to try to waste as much time as we could get by with. And uh, mom and dad would see to it that we would not waste time. In fact, there were times that they would take the Board of Education and apply it to the seed of knowledge to help us remember that we were to be redeeming the time. I was talking to my daughter the other day about this, and I remembered a time to her. I was reminded of a time to her when I was a kid, and the championship basketball game was coming up my senior year of high school. This was the big game. I was starting five. We were going to the big tournament. Our rivals were going to be there, and there was a pretty good chance our team was going to win the championship that year. And my mom told me, I think it was on Tuesday or, or so of that week, said, I, Greg, the porch light is burned out. I want you to change the light bulb. And I said, okay, Mom, I'll get to it. And you know how we are as teenagers. We get busy with our schedules. And uh, Tuesday went by, and the light bulb was not changed. And on Wednesday, she said, Greg, I want you to change that light bulb. And I said, okay, Mom, I'll get to it. And guess what? Wednesday came and went, and I had a good excuse, Mom. We had prayer meeting tonight, and Dad was preaching, and I was at church. You didn't want me to miss church now, did you? And that didn't hold water with her. And uh, Wednesday came and went, and Thursday she said, Now, Greg, I want that bulb changed before you go to bed tonight. If it's not changed, you're not playing in the championship game tomorrow. I said, Mom, I'll take care of it, no problem. I've been meaning to do it all week, and I'm sorry. I, I just got busy. And... Uh, Went to bed Thursday night, did not even remember that there even was such a thing as a light bulb. And I woke up Friday morning all excited. I'm getting my uniform ready. And all of a sudden, Mom came in the room and said, Greg, you're not playing. I said, okay, Mom, I got it. And I ran out of the room and I changed that light bulb before school that quick. But it was too late. And you know what my demented mother did? I mean, could you believe a mother being this cruel to her child? It squelched my personality. It caused me to have to go into therapy. My mother grounded me from the championship game my senior year of high school over a light bulb. And we sit here, but you all know this as well as I do. It wasn't even about the light bulb, was it? is about the fact that I really didn't think what she meant was for me to redeem the time. I, I didn't really 
make my schedule her schedule, did I? I, I, was, I was going to get to it. I had every intention of getting to it. I was not being rebellious to my mom. I was not saying, Mom, there's no way. You find somebody else to change that light bulb. I'm not doing it. There's a spider up there. I'm not getting up there. I was a real man. I didn't care about spiders. Jonathan. <clears throat> and uh, I don't name names when I preach except when it helps my kids. But, but I get up there and I, I had every intention. I wasn't being rebellious. I really wasn't. God knows my heart. I was not being rebellious to my mom. I really was not trying to be disobedient to my mom. I just simply let time get away from me. I had things that were important to me. And they weren't, they weren't the things that she wanted me to do. And I think that's what God is trying to get across to us here as Christians. Because the truth of the matter is if we were to go around the room tonight, I don't think any of us here tonight would say, I want to be rebellious to God. I really don't think we would. I mean, we're here on a Sunday night. Why would we, why would we ever say that? I really don't think any of us would say, I want to be disobedient to God. I want to obey Him. The problem is we're not redeeming the time. God, I'll get to it. I know your Bible says I'm supposed to, and I know it says over here that I'm, and God, I'll get to it. I really will. I'll get to it. I, I, I want to make sure that I'm walking circumspectly. And Paul says, redeeming the time. When I, uh, years ago, loved, I, I love flying airplanes. And my uncle, when I was about eight years old, came down, took me for an airplane ride in one of his little airplanes. And, I mean, I was hooked. From that point on, I wanted to be a pilot. And so finally, after years of nagging, uh, my wife allowed me to go get my pilot's license. And the day that she told me to, I could go get my pilot's license, I was already out the front door before the sentence was out of her mouth because I was afraid she was going to change her mind. And I went and got my pilot's license. And for several years I flew an airplane. And then somebody, a friend of mine, came along that owned a flight school up in Chattanooga, Tennessee, and said, uh, why don't you get your instrument rating? The instrument rating is a pretty big deal in, in aviation and flying, so you can fly in weather and uh, be a little safe for pilot, and it's a pretty big rating. There's a lot to it, and uh, you have to be very, very precise in how you fly, and uh, it takes a lot of uh, work on it. And so I went up there, and he said, I'll, I'll come on up here. I'll take care of the cost of it. And uh, I went up there and uh, for two weeks, went with a flight instructor. His name was Todd. I'll never forget him. Uh, we were flying in what we call under the hood. It was uh, uh, these glasses that I put on my head that, I, it, blocked, it blocked everything out of my vision except for the dash panel of the airplane. And we were to fly in and do a landing at the airport, and we were to fly in the exact uh, uh, center line of the airplane uh, of the runway. We were to fly the exact glide slope of the runway so that we don't hit any towers or buildings or anything by looking simply at the instruments until we were about 200 feet away, and then we could take our glasses off and we could land. And uh, I was coming in on one of those that we call them an approach, and it's a precision approach. And, I mean, I was flying dead on. I, I had the, the needle was centered with the center line of the runway, and uh, the glide slope line was on the horizontal bar. It wasn't too high or too low. We were right on the glide path. And Todd said something to distract me, and I, I went to adjust some power or something that he had asked me to do. And he said, watch your altitude. And I looked down, and all of a sudden I realized I was too low on the glide path. Now, there are certain things that are okay in aviation, being too high 
on a glide path is usually not a problem. You just go around and try again. But if you're too low on the glide path, a lot of times you can come in and hit a building and crash the airplane. That's never a good thing. And he said, uh, Greg, watch your altitude. And I looked down. I was about 150 feet too low. And I said, okay, I'm correcting for it. And I corrected slightly for it. And it was slowly bringing the needle back up. And the next thing I know, all of a sudden, the yoke of the airplane was back in my chest. And that airplane pitched up like this. And I thought we were going to stall the airplane out. And I looked over, and Todd had that yoke, and he had yanked it back like this. And he looked over at me, and he said something I'll never forget. He said, fix it now. <laughs> wasn't enough that I was just fixing it. It had to be fixed now. Todd knew something I didn't know. And I, I, was, I was not rebelling against Todd. I was not disobeying Todd. He's my instructor. I was doing it even. But the problem was... I was just doing it slightly. Both illustrations I gave you tonight apply to us. In one case, we're just simply not doing it. We've just forgotten our time and our priorities are different. But can I tell you this? Even if we're doing it, but we're just doing it slightly. God tells us, redeeming the time because the days are evil. See then that you walk circumspectly. How do I do that? Well, you've got to redeem the time. You better be looking around, seeing what's going on, finding out what God wants done in this world, and then get involved in it. Roll up the sleeves, say, God, what do you have for me to do? Let's go. We're ready to, we're ready to go. Let's, let's do this. Redeeming the time. I want you to notice, secondly, in verse number 17, Wherefore, be not unwise, but understanding what the will of the Lord is. How do you walk circumspectly? You better understand what the will of the Lord is. You know how I many people I've had over the years come and ask me, Brother Greg, how do you know what God's will is? We know what God's will is. We all know what God's will is. He has given it to us. It's right here. The problem is we don't read it enough to know it many times. And even if we do, we don't look at it as His will. We look at it as His Word and we think, well, it gives us some things that God has given us and some hints and suggestions. No, no. These are things that are His will. What we mean often is what is God's plan within His will. But we know what God's will is, don't we? we? We understand what God likes and what God doesn't like. You know that a Christian doesn't ever have to battle between understanding what's right and what's wrong or what's good and what's bad. We have that discernment. The problem we have many times is knowing what's good and what's best. You see, what's good may be acceptable and lawful. Paul said, all things are lawful for me, but all things are not expedient. Not, not, not everything is what God wants me to do. There are things that are good for us to do, but it isn't the best because it's not what God wants. And so we've got to learn this thing of waking from the uh, sleep and raising from the dead and walking circumspectly. And we do that by redeeming the time. And we do that, secondly, by understanding what the will of the Lord is. If this is the will of the Lord, which we believe it to be, then the only way I can understand it is if I take time to, what? Read it. I've got to understand it. And not just read it, but can I say and add this to it? We need to read it prayerfully. That God will give us understanding as we read. 
Paul is challenging this church, these believers. He said, listen, folks, some of you need to wake up. Some of you need to you know, wake from the dead. <laughs> some of you have been dead. You've been sitting there doing nothing like a bump on the log. We need to get up, redeem the time. we got things to do. Years ago when I was a kid, my dad would come knock on my door every morning early before the sun was coming up or just as the sun was coming up. And his favorite saying was, it's going on 9 o'clock. And I'd be like, Dad, it's only 6. Yeah, but it's going on 9. We're burning daylight. I think sometimes God wants to say something like that to us. In fact, I believe it's what He's saying here. Redeeming the time. Let's get busy. There are things that need to be done. We don't have time. If God was sitting in the pilot instructor seat of our life, I believe He would have yanked the yoke back in our life by now and said, Fix it now. Fix it now. Understanding what the will of the Lord is. Now I want you to notice in verse number 18, And be not drunk with wine wherein is excess, but be filled with the Spirit. Filled with the Spirit. We need to be redeeming the time. We need to be understanding what the will of the Lord is. And then can I say this? We do need to get back to this thing of being filled with the Spirit. And folks, I'm not saying this is something that is just a phrase that we've learned to use in the Christian life. This is a real thing. And it's something that ought to be important to every Christian. And I want to share with you three things that Paul gives us here, and we're going to be done, about regarding being filled with the Spirit. And I want you to look at these very quickly. In verse number 19, there are certain things that will become characteristic when we are filled with the Spirit. And verse 18, he says, And be not drunk with wine, wherein is excess, but be filled with the Spirit. And the, the comparison here is that as a man who is drunk with alcohol, is controlled by the alcohol, that is the level with which Christian people ought to be controlled by the Holy Spirit of God. There are churches out there that say, well, you ought to be drunk in the Spirit. Folks, that is as far from what Scripture teaches as everything. But we ought to be filled with the Spirit. And we ought to be controlled by the Spirit. And we ought to be doing it willingly. Yielding ourselves and saying, Lord, I want your will in my life today. I don't want what I want. I want what you want. And then follow his leading in our lives. There are several things that are characteristic of a person that has the Spirit of God filling them. And the first one we find is this person is going to be one who speaks to themselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in their hearts to the Lord. You find somebody that is Spirit-filled, they're going to have a song in their heart. Amen? The Bible says He had put a new song in my heart. The day that I got saved, there was something there that wasn't there before. And all of a sudden, I'm going to have some things that are thinking. And by the way, don't get me wrong. I think there's a time and a place for music. But one thing that I have found over the years is it needs to be Christ-honoring music. And we ought to be speaking to ourselves in psalms, in hymns, and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in our hearts to the Lord. What is that dealing with? That is dealing with a worshipful attitude to an almighty God. He is not the boy up the, the, the good old boy. He's not the man upstairs. He is my God. He is my Savior. He's the one that has saved me. My son walked in the church the other night and had his hat on in the vestibule. I reached over and flipped it off his head. He knew better than that. 
You say, why, Brother Greg? This is just a building. It's just walls. And it is. There's nothing, nothing special about drywall and carpet and, and chairs. But can I tell you what goes on inside this place is sacred. And there ought to be a spirit of worship. When we walk through those doors, we're not just coming here to have a meeting of a bunch of people. We're here to have God stir our hearts. There ought to be a spirit of worship. And a person that is now, now let me just say this. It's possible to outwardly be singing a lot of Christian songs and not be anywhere near filled with the Spirit. You, you can do this outwardly. But a person that is filled with the Spirit can't help it. This is going to come streaming out from inside. It doesn't matter if we have a good voice or a bad voice. We're going to be singing songs and hymns and spiritual songs. It's just going to be part of us. It's going to be our worship. We're going to get alone in the car one day, and all of a sudden we're going to sing, Jesus, 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 I've got Him on my mind. Or we're going to sing, How great Thou art, how great Thou art. Or we're going to sing, On a hill far away. Stood an old rugged cross. We might sing, I've got a mansion just over the hilltop. You might even get in your car and sing, I saw the light. And it's not something you're doing to show people how spiritual you are because there's nobody around but you and God. And you're going to be like, what am I doing? People might think I'm crazy. But it's a spirit of worship. And by the way, can I say this, and, and, and I don't mean to be incendiary with a remark. I don't have a problem with public worship at all. But can I tell you that our private worship is far more important to God than our public worship. There's an awful lot goes on in the name of public worship that's nowhere near worship. What is Paul speaking of here? A person that's filled with the Spirit is going to be speaking to themselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in our hearts to the Lord. I want you to notice secondly in verse number 20, giving thanks always for all things unto God and the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. A Spirit-filled Christian is going to be one that's a grateful Christian. Giving thanks always. What do you think a Spirit-filled Christian is going to give thanks for? What? <laughs> Everything. You're, this, this is going to be the kind of person that you say, um, I tell you what, why don't we, do, do we have time, somebody, somebody got to test it, and before, before you even get the word out of your mouth, their hands up like that. When I was a youth pastor, there was a young lady in our youth group, and I knew every time that I asked, anybody got a testimony tonight, I knew her hand was going up every time. Every time. Because she had something to be thankful for every time. And she wasn't just putting on a show. She meant it. God did something in her heart. Thankful. What do we have to be thankful for tonight? Well, Brother Greg, I'll tell you, my life's rough. Are you saved? (laughs) Whew. Man, you can spend an eternity being thankful for that and never exhausted. Is Christ your Savior? Is God your Father? Are you a joint heir with Jesus Christ? Are you a child of the King? Are you on your way to heaven instead of on your way to hell? Well, we got a lot to be excited about. We got a lot to say, Lord, thank you. Amen. We got an awful lot that we can do that with. You got a place to sleep? Did you have a meal today? Did you get to drive a car? 
instead of walking here. Some of us even got to drive in a car that had, get this, padded seats and air conditioning. And a few of us had a radio in there that we could listen to psalms and hymns and spiritual songs on on the way to church. We got a lot to be thankful for. We got health. We got the ability to work. We got a job. We got a family that love us. We got a church home that cares for us. We've got friends that encourage us and edify us. We've got brothers and sisters in Christ that will pray for us. And we have a God in heaven and a Savior who is our advocate. Don't tell me we don't have anything to be thankful for. Somebody that's filled with the Spirit can't stop thanking Him enough. Isn't it amazing how often we can look at a day as we get to the end of it and not see so many things that God did that day We look at them as just coincidence, but God did them. In fact, it says in the Scriptures that if it were not for His mercies, we would be consumed every day. Oh, what a Savior. A person that's filled with the Spirit. They sing to each other. They have a spirit of worship in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. They give thanks always. For all things. That's a sign of a spirit-filled Christian. And then I want you to notice thirdly, verse number 21, submitting yourselves one to another in the fear of God. These are three things that happen to a person that is filled with the Spirit. Singing and worship, giving of thanks, and submitting ourselves one to another. What does that mean? That means not to think of ourselves more highly than we ought. That means that I don't expect anything from anybody that's my friend. But I want to give everything I have to those that are my friends. Submitting myself. I wonder how often... We find here as he goes down through chapter number 5 and into chapter number 6 that Paul gives some very specific things. Husbands are to submit themselves to the Lord Jesus Christ. Wives are to submit themselves to their husbands. Children are to submit themselves to their parents. And servants are to submit themselves to their masters. But it can all be summed up in this verse. Submitting yourselves one to another. After all, and I know this sounds crazy and it's something that is hard for me to wrap my mind around. But have you ever thought about this? Christ submitted himself to us. You say, Brother Greg, what do you mean by that? He gave all of glory up to care and to bear the burden of our sin. He gave everything he had for us. We're to be that way with others. Somebody said years ago when I was younger, said, don't, don't ever loan something to somebody that you're not willing to give them. But the truth of the matter is, if it's a brother or a sister in Christ, shouldn't I be willing to give them everything I got? I mean, the Lord did that for me. Can I not do that for them? There's sometimes somebody needs to borrow the truck. I'll just throw them the keys. Here you go. Take the truck. 
It's not my truck anyway. Amen. God gave it to me to be used. Is there really anything that important to us that we're not willing to give to others and be submitted to others with? It's interesting to me that over in the book of Colossians, if you will turn with me, we'll be done here, verse chapter number three. This is my second closing, brother Larry. So we're almost done. We're we're on the final approach here. Look with me, if you will, in Colossians chapter number three, verse number sixteen. We'll begin reading. The Bible says, "Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another." Watch what this is: teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. That's pretty amazing, isn't it? And whatsoever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving, what's the next word here? Giving thanks. Verse number 18, wives, what's the next word here? Submit. And you go down through there, we find that wives are to submit to their husbands. Husbands are to love their wives and to submit to God. Children are to obey their parents. And once again, servants are to submit themselves to their Masters, we find the exact same things given here. The difference is this time Paul uses a different phrase. He said, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly with all wisdom. In Colossians chapter 3, in Ephesians he said, be filled with the Spirit. Let me ask you a question tonight. Could it be that they're one and the same? Being filled with the Spirit is nothing more then yielding ourselves to the Word of God in such a way that we let it dwell in us richly with all wisdom. The Holy Spirit is able then to do His His work in our hearts. It's an interesting thought, isn't it? Interesting thought. Well, it's not anything profound. Pretty simple, isn't it? But Paul said this, that when we awake from our sleep and rise from the dead, God will give us light. And we're to be a light to this lost world, aren't we? So these are the things we ought to be doing. Redeeming the time, understanding what the will of the Lord is, being filled with the Spirit. Amen? All right, let's stand together. Father, we're so thankful for your word, how it teaches us. Lord, it's so simple. A lot of times it's difficult, but it's simple. It's hard to do. It's hard to accomplish because, Lord, our flesh nature still wants to get in the way. And our hearts and our human minds too often reject what we read in Scripture or at least ignore it because we don't really want to change. Lord, I pray that when we trust you as our Savior, that that thing that wakens inside of us, that's made alive, that new creature that's inside of us, that it will want and long to do these things. Lord, I can't imagine being saved and not longing to please you and want to do things that would be honoring to you. I pray that you would help us to learn from this passage tonight something that so often we read quickly over. Lord, we need light. If we're to be lights to this world, we need light. And you've told us very clearly and very plainly how we can get it. I pray that you'd help us to do so. Bless the message tonight. Lord, we're not going to have a traditional invitation time, but it's been mostly a teaching time tonight for our folks. But I pray that you'd help us to leave here with your word on our hearts.
and the truth engraved in our minds and our souls. And I pray that you'd help us to apply it, put it into practice. Thank you for the time that we've been able to spend here together. Lord, we've rejoiced in it today. We ask that you'll dismiss us now with your blessings. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.